All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Dropping the Gloves with John and Tim. The dynamic duo, some have been known to call us Tim. I've heard people say that. So thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your support. Love it when people join us on this show. I hope everybody had a good weekend, Tim. I had a great weekend. I'm just going to put it out there before you even get a chance to get in on your protein binge. I had a great weekend. I don't care how many haircuts you got, how many steaks you ate. Not going to top my weekend. It was fantastic. I went camping. I set up my my new tent. And I just want to tell you right now, this is the greatest tent on earth. I'm just putting it out there. It's fantastic. I love it. I loved everything about it. And it was just a a pleasure. We'll post post a picture on our social page. Walk me through it. What makes it a good tent? It's a 20 foot diameter yurt. So it's like a big teepee. It's about 12 foot tall in the center. So I can walk around this tent without having any issues. There's no poles. There's no this. There's no that. There's just one center pole that's 12 feet tall. And it's fantastic. We had two air mattresses in there. One was like a double. One was a, a twin. I can't sleep with my wife because she's nine months pregnant and it's just not going to happen when we're camping on one air mattress. It's not going to work. So we each had two big air mattresses. We had the crib for the baby, uh, not a baby anymore. She's a year and a half, but we had the crib for Eleanor. And then we had five other little mattresses for our kids. And there was still plenty of room for activities, you know, and like clothes and shoes and bags and this and that. And we had a big open area. It's uh, the tents. Amazing, Tim. It's absolutely amazing. And there's ventilation on all the sides. You can open up the windows and it's honestly, it's a showpiece. I don't like, I'm, I don't like the peacock that often, but boy, I was like, check out my tent, everybody. It was legit. It was a legit cool tent. We'll post a picture and I want to get everyone's honest opinion. So if you hate it, just say you hate it. If you go nice, give me, give me a thumbs up. I pre, I, I read all the comments most times, sometimes, maybe never. But I do sometimes. So we'll post a picture after the show and uh, we'll get everyone's take on. But yeah, it was great, Tim. It was great. And you, how much did you spend on the tent again? Um, you know, it's money's not an object to me. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> okay, well, but does this mean that now you have the ability to make a purchase without asking permission? Is it ball no, in your court now? No, no, possession, no. I, possession I, arrow? So we have a $300 barrier limit and she obviously overdid that but no I, I still have to get the okay if i if i buy anything over pretty much 75 dollars, i run it by her I'm like do you think this is smart should we buy this do you think this is a good idea like when i go to costco i'm like this ground beef is going to cost like 45 dollars. should i buy this and I'm like because i don't want to like i want to buy the the cheaper stuff and so I, I don't know that's just how i'm wired i don't like spending money she on the other hand perfectly fine with it perfectly fine with it so i'm glad she did it was a great tent tim it was a great weekend kids love sleeping in it. my air mattress deflated two two consecutive nights it didn't even phase me i was so happy to be in that beautiful tent i woke up I'm like 
sweet. It's cool. Cool stuff. How was your weekend, Tim? How many steaks did you eat this weekend? <laughs> I was thinking a little myself. I'm lying in bed. In my beautiful 10. Like, gosh, I wonder if Tim's eating a steak right now. How many did you get down? I probably was. I had two steaks over the weekends. Um, dirty dog. You just, look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Got a haircut. Obviously I you think, did. <laughs> yeah. <That's> so funny. <laughs> I think, man, first of all, it can be 80 degrees here, but the 80 degrees here is way hotter than the 80 degrees in Michigan. I don't know if it's the sun or the air temperature or what, but it is so much hotter. Even like, I'll, I'll walk my dog in the morning. First thing, it's like 68 degrees. I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. Maybe put a light hoodie on or something. I'm still sweating. Like, it's just way, way hotter. Second thing, and I think this has to do with the first thing, hair just grows faster. There's, I don't know if there's any science to back it up, but that's been my observation in my first six months of living here. This is my fifth haircut. Like, that's crazy. And it hasn't been six months. It's been five, five in a week. So this is... It's all the protein. Unheard of. It's all Could the be. protein. And the beautiful thing Could about be. facts and science, you can just make it up and then yeah. people believe it. It doesn't matter anymore. Your hair is growing faster. The sun is different down there than it is up where we are. It's true. Complete, it's a different sun. And I, I firmly believe that because you told me. So I believe it. Good for you, Tim. You got a haircut. You ate some steak. And we had a chance to wrap our heads around the Stanley Cup final. Let's just get into that real quick. There is game six being played. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Rangers, the big elimination game. Tampa Bay had the opportunity to take out those pesky New York Rangers, the upstart team. I, I don't want to say nobody thought they would be there, but maybe nobody did. They had to get through the Carolina Hurricanes. They had to get through the Pittsburgh Penguins, two very strong Eastern Conference teams. They have ridden Igor Shosturkin all the way to this point, and he's been their best player. Lights out, hands down, from the drop of the puck way, 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 way back in September to this point. He has been their guy. He's been their MVP, and he played great again. It was a 2-1 game for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay played there. As we've been you know, learning with this Tampa Bay team in the first round, I think that was an aberration. That was not the Tampa Bay team that we've seen the last two rounds. They are a sound defensive team. They are responsible. They don't take many chances. They grind you down, and they get a chance, and they capitalize. We saw it again this game. They get a chance. They score again late in the third period. Steven Stamkos on a terrible play by Jacob Trouba. We'll, we'll break into that a little bit later, but Shesterkin's been their best player. An odd thing happened before the game, and this was strange to me. Gerard Gallant. He is, he doesn't change lineups very often. He did it with Vegas where he took Ryan Reeves out of the Stanley cup final that backfired on them. He did it again. This series, Ryan Reeves earlier before game six, he takes him out after game four, just to, just to switch the lines a, a little bit. Revo has been playing all through the playoffs. They take him out. Game six comes around. There's been some noise before the game. Capo Caco. He's out there a little bit later. The regulars are already off. Kako's still skating around out there. Strom started the pregame or the the morning skate. He left. Is he going to play? Is Hunt going to play? Is Sammy Blaze going to play? What's going on? And Reeves going to play? There was a lot of question marks surrounding the New York Rangers lineup. Game time starts. Capo Kako is out of the lineup. In comes Drayden Hunt. Dryden Hunt. I don't know how you Dryden Hunt. Strom is playing. You bump. The lineup's completely jumbled around. Players are everywhere. I want to get your opinion on this because I know I know my opinion, obviously. Where do you stand on making such a drastic lineup change, change in a crucial game? Taking Okako from a line that's been pretty successful to date, what do you think, Tim? Is he just trying to switch things up? Was it a good move, a bad move? In hindsight, obviously, we know the, the results, but Try to try to remove that result from your head. Do you think this is a good move by Gallant? No, I don't love that. I don't love making roster changes like that late in the series if you don't have to, unless you're you're in desperation mode. But they weren't really, even though okay, they lost three straight, but they're playing at home. Um, they they expect to win those games, and sorry, they were they weren't at home. They're on the road in Game Six, but still, you expect to. Uh, make a comeback. You've been there all, all series long and Shesterkin has been playing well. It seems strange to make a move like that, especially given the fact that the, the kid line that we've been calling it has been pretty successful for you this entire playoffs series. And if you watch the games, 
um, Capo Caco probably could have more chance, more goals than he, than he actually had. He's got a lot of chances, creating a lot of offense in front of the net. He's dishing. He's, he's almost buried a couple of times, or maybe he should have. And maybe if he does, this doesn't happen. But it's not like he's a, a dead weight out there or something. And it's just too bad because you think there's, there's other ways to send a message to a young kid than scratching him in a playoff game, I think, when he has been pretty good for you. So that's that really surprised me. It surprised me as well, especially considering that, yes, their offense was fluttering. The, they, they had gotten two goals in game three. They had gotten one in game four, one in game five. Something was different. They, they weren't getting the offensive production that they had the first two games of the series and the first two rounds of the playoffs. But you think that being said, you would want to play that third line more with Hedl, Lafreniere, and Kako. In the previous series, they drove a lot of your offense. And instead, instead of rewarding them, Gallant still played them as a third-line group. They would get 12, 13 minutes of ice time max per game. I, I think Gallant is a good coach. I do think he does a lot of good things. I don't think he made the right decision here. Instead of you know, continuing to limit these guys, bump them up. Give them more minutes. Get them up to the 16, 17, 18 minute per game. You saw what they can do. And when you're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know what type of team there is. And it's not like Capo Caco is a defensive liability. He is really good in his own zone. Like he is defensively responsible. Maybe he's not as fast as some players are because he's a big dude. He gets around the ice. It takes him a little bit of time to get there. But he's a good player overall. I, I don't like this move. Bringing in a Dryden Hunt, putting him in a situation where he goes to the fourth line. He hasn't played, you know, I think since the first round. And it's like, okay, here you go. You're in a decisive game six. Don't make a mistake. And lo and behold, he's on the ice for when Samkos gets the game winner in the third period. That's another conversation for another time. But I just think he reacted when he should have just trusted his players. You keep Reeves in the lineup. You keep Kako there on the third line. Strom's coming back into the lineup. And everything is fine. I don't think Gallant made the right decision. He was a good coach. He made a, you know, pulled the strings when he had to, but I think this decision really, it impacted the game. I think it really impacted the game. I know they were struggling with scoring. I know they were all out of sorts. Zabinajad wasn't playing well. Kreider wasn't playing well. Panarin wasn't getting the space she usually gets. You don't put in someone who's just not an offensive player. He, he doesn't move the needle at all. Like, what's the difference between a Hunt and a Reeves at the end of the day? Reeves instills fear. He gets in on the forecheck. He's bang bodies. He's going to create more momentum than a Hunt is. What's the difference between a Hunt and a Kako? Kako can bring you that elite talent that you need. He was a number two overall draft pick for a reason. The guy's got hands. He's got ability. You saw when that line gets going, they, they're they swarming. They're energetic. They get going. Uh, I think that was – I'm not saying it cost them the game – but if you want to give yourself the best chance to win, putting Dryden or Drayden, whatever his first name is, into the lineup isn't going to give you that best chance to win. So, like I said, it's not the reason they lost, but it it plays a part in it. The reason they lost is Tampa Bay. It's because Tampa Bay won this series. Tampa Bay was that good. They showed why they're a championship-caliber team. And listening to the interviews after the game, did you hear John Cooper's interview? It was very sweet. He was doing a press conference and he was just waxing poetically of how good the Tampa Bay Lightning is. He's like, we have no business winning at all. Like we should be content on what we've done. We won one Stanley Cup. That's great. Now they guys still want to win. We won two Stanley Cups. He's like, they still find it within themselves to want to win. And that's a hard thing to do when you find success to be able to continue that success and to do the hard things in order to get that success. So it's uh, it was a really sweet thing for a coach to say, usually they, you know, take a little bit of the success themselves. They want a little accolades. He just diverted it all towards the players. And it was really great. So Tim, why are the lightning so successful? What do they do? That's different than all these other great. Cause there are some great teams in the East, but here we are again, third time's a charm. They're only the third team, fourth team in history to reach three consecutive Stanley cups. I believe there's the Oilers and the Islanders of years past. And there's one other team, but I, I could be wrong with that set. So don't fact check me. But what do the Lightning do that is so different from other teams? Why are they so successful? I think it was Stamkos. I want to say it was Stamkos in the post-game interview. We talked about how they've just gotten better. Like the teams that win championships are the teams that improve throughout the postseason. And that's what they've done. And they're playing their best hockey right now. Um, if you look at the both, I think, you know, game six is probably a good 
a good example of what they've done this entire series um, with possession. We're playing just championship caliber hockey at the right time, creating offense, blocking shots, suffocating them in the defensive zone. And then you had the best goal in the world, you know, over the last four games for the Rangers over which they won none of, they scored five total goals and that's not going to win you a lot of games. It's certainly not going to win you many series. So I think it's Tampa just is, is showing us why they've won these, these last two championships and, and who could possibly bet against Vasilevsky in a in an elimination game? We're gonna get to him in a minute. Another piece that really uh I don't know surprised me looking at the stats here. Underrated part of of why Tampa Bay is so successful, Anthony Sorelli. When you think of Sorelli, you think of you know, he's he's a good, you know, middle six forward, um, play some big minutes and, and he scored some big goals over the years, but he's been absolutely locked down defensively. He's, he's getting matched up against the, the best players from each team. And this is some stats here that that'll probably blow your mind. So in 251 minutes and 58 seconds of five on five, this postseason, no one is really getting any scoring on him. He's played 60 minutes versus Dabinijad, 52 minutes versus Matthews and 25 in chain versus Barkov across these three series. And his opponents have scored six total goals in all that time. Torelli is just, he's in their face. He's keeping up with them. He's not letting them generate anything, anything sustained. And when you have a player like that, you can just plug in against other teams' top lines. And then you got the Stamkos and Palats and, and uh, hopefully Braden Points coming back. You can use to, to work the matchups in your favor. It's just, it's, it's such a hard thing for a team to compete with. You have to be really, really deep. And the Rangers are, and they still weren't able to, to beat the Lightning here. They beat you in so many different ways, Tim. They, they can grind you down. They can goal score. They are what I thought the Calgary flames would be that that's who the Tampa Bay lightning are. And, and they've shown it. And I agree with you. They, they have matured the last three Stanley cup runs. They, they went from just being an energetic, we're going to outwork you. We're going to do this and that. Then they went, I think they caught a break playing the Montreal Canadians where they were just a better team. And now they are a mature calm patient group they don't get flustered they go down to nothing to the new york rangers most teams would be out of sorts they would be panicking tampa bay was steady as she goes we will get our chances we will score some goals we will win this series they win the next four games i think the last team to go down oh two in a playoff series and come back and win the series in the conference final was chicago i think when they were defending stanley cup champions so they they know how to win and they are just a mature group and I, I said it at the trade deadline, I love what John Cooper does. I love what Breezebaud does. He brings in pieces every single year that inject a little bit of energy into this group. They bring in Hagel. They bring in Paul. These guys haven't won. They want to win. Last year, it was Corey Perry. Or not, excuse me, Corey Perry. It was um, I, I, the names are escaping Bogosian and somebody else. And the year before, it was Goudreau and uh, what's the guy? Coleman. So they bring people in that interject that energy. And then you see what impresses me with this team. I know they have MVP type caliber players. You have Vasilevsky, you have Hedman, you have Kucherov, Steven Stamkos in his game from when he came into the league to where he is now, he is a completely different player. When he came into the league, he was a one faceted one dimensional player. He was, and I, I don't want to slight other players, but he, he, he was in that group of sharpshooters. You put him in a spot, get him the puck, and he will score four out of 10 times for you. And that was Steven Stamkos. He was a liability in the back end somewhat. He was okay. He's better than most, but he wasn't that great. He oftentimes drifted. He oftentimes just seemed uninterested. Con- transition that to 10 plus years later. He is a complete player. He plays defense very well. He's up and down the ice. He oftentimes is one of the, their team leader in body checks. Like he's throwing his body all over the place. He is such a well-rounded player. I didn't think we were going to get here with Stammer. When he went through all those injuries, his career was in jeopardy. No one knew if he was going to stick around in Tampa Bay. Can we build around this guy? They want to stay on the cup without him. What, what do we do with Stamkos? What do, you, what do you think? Do you think he is the key to this team? Because they have so many good players. Or is this just a complete team where they're, they can lose? We saw Braden Point gone. Steven Stamkos was gone for the first Stanley Cup run. Kucherov's been there. Hedman's been there. But is this just a case of this is just a juggernaut of a team? We talked about Palat last show. 
Is there a weakness on this team? Is there a strength from this team? Or is it just everybody's rolling in the same direction, Tim? Uh, it's a lot of things. Stamkos got a lot of praise uh, over the weekend for his play in game six. And, and overall, he scored, you know, obviously, two goals. And I remember asking you even like three years ago, like way back toward the beginning of the show, I asked you who the most overrated player in the league was. And you said Stamkos. And this yep. is before the, you know, he's like, he scored a lot of goals. He's kind of a one-dimensional player, not much playoff success. Not to say he's not a great player, but maybe a little overrated. And look at what he's done in those last two and a half years or so. It's just crazy. He reminds me of, um, of, of Taze when they were winning all those championships. Just a complete player, a leader, um, a veteran. That, that There was a great uh, like two-minute clip where the – gosh, I think it was 2 nothing, so it would have been later in the game, um, in game six. And the way the lighting, and Stamkos especially, just like picking pockets, forcing turnovers in the neutral zone, not letting them you know, get anything going on the rush and – He's such a big part of that team. He's like the pinnacle to me of, of what it takes to be a captain in the league right now, both from a leadership perspective, from a skill perspective, from a, a greediness, and obviously the playoff success. He's, as you like to say, he's the, the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's been there. He was there when they were struggling. They couldn't figure it out. They were going to be what the Edmonton Oilers are now. Just a perennial regular season type team, maybe win around in the playoffs, but that was it. They didn't have that it factor they didn't have that playoff experience they didn't have whatever it takes to win a stanley cup all of a sudden steven stamkos is that guy he is that guy you can rely on he's out there after a goal he's out there at the start of a period he's out there at the end of the game he does it all he's a fantastic fantastic player i love myself some steven stamkos the tampa Bay lightning they deserve to be here vasilevsky let's just touch on him a little bit elimination game lights out he's got what read out Vasilevsky's stats Tim because they're overwhelming me when he's got an elimination game yeah so it's actually crazy um in his last eight elimination games he's eight and zero with here's a kicker six shutouts six that's insane um for his career he has a 945 save percentage in a game where the lightning have a chance to eliminate their their opponent and then look at the this playoff specifically. He's played three elimination games. Uh, he's allowed two total goals against in the entire on all three games. Nine eighty save percentage. That's against Florida, uh, Toronto, and New York Rangers. That's ninety nine out of one hundred and one shots he stopped in those three elimination games. You just he's being like compared to Mariano Rivera, just a closer, like just ice in his vein. No matter what the situation, he's ready to lock it down when it matters most. And it's just. When you have the Lightning team that's this good in the back end and up front where you can just get a one or two goal lead and know that you're going to win that game because of the way Vasilevsky plays, it's just how do you how do you beat that? You don't. You don't beat it. He's so good, especially when you have a team. They limited the Rangers. The Rangers said this is their, their life is on the line. They are backed into a corner. Usually when an animal is backed into the corner, everybody knows that's when they're at the most dangerous. They're fighting for their life. And this was the Rangers. Tampa Bay limited the New York Rangers to 21 shots last game. 21 shots over the whole 60-minute game. That is either a complete failure of the New York Rangers, an inability to just throw pucks at the net. As a, as a coach, as a player, when you are struggling to score goals, and I'm telling you this is what was being said in the Rangers locker room, and I know Gerard Gallant a little bit. I know the way he coaches. I know the guys in that locker room a little bit. When you can't score goals, you try to get garbage goals. You try to get dirty. You bank one off a shin. You hope you get a bounce here and there. In order to do that, you throw pucks at the net. And so when you, tease, when you see teams are struggling to score, usually their shots on goal total are 35, 36, 40, 41. It's because they're just trying to throw everything at the net. They're trying to get some kind of bounce. They're trying to get something going. For whatever reason, the Rangers didn't do that. 21 shots on goal. And the reason is because Tampa Bay just suffocates you. They take away what you want to do. They force you to do something else. Maybe the Rangers couldn't adjust. Whatever the reason, Tampa Bay, 21 shots on goal for the Rangers. It was it was masterfully done. The Rangers will bounce back. I think they got a good team. I think we will see them in this situation in a few years. We'll see what happens with their salary cap. We say that with everybody. But I like the way they're built. They got Fox. They got Shesterkin. They have the core pieces there. 
All right, let's get to some neat stats. Everybody talks about Patrick Maroon, 15 straight series victories. The last time he lost, coincidentally, he was with the New York or New Jersey Devils. They lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he's been on a tear. St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. The guy is just he, all he does is win. He's just he's lights out. McDonough, Ryan McDonough, un, not so unsung anymore. I think he's finally getting the accolades, the due that he's deserved. Playoff leading, and this is a I was blown away when I saw this too. He is an all-time shot blocking leader in the playoffs. All time. That's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. He's got four hundred. You, know, you know who posted that stat? You did. It was uh Hank. You guys Ben Hank is an agent. Well, that's how I know that's how I know Mac because I would skate with him this summer. We had the same agent, Ryan McDonough. He's just as steady as she go, you know, doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. rock the boat, doesn't need need much. You plug him in. He's going to get you 20, 25 minutes. He's not going to make many mistakes. He might make some here and there. He's getting a little long in the tooth, but yeah, he blocks shots. He's been, he's played a lot of playoff hockey. He was with the Rangers forever when they would go deep in the playoffs every single year, it seemed, and then flame out much like they did this year. It could be oh, poor Rangers. They just can't catch a break. And now he's with Tampa Bay. Congratulations to him. Another streak, Tim. In a season full of records, a full of streaks, one streak will be broken. The Yarmer Yager streak, 40 plus years of him being associated, connected to a player who had won the Stanley Cup, played with them, obviously. This is the first time in 40 plus years that we're not going to have that. The streak is broken. Yeggs, his connection to the NHL is finally gone. I'm sure it'll kick back up next year, maybe. But yeah, kind of a cool streak. Another streak, Corey Perry, a la Marion Hosa, third straight Stanley Cup finals appearance. Will he get his first win? Started with Dallas two years ago, Montreal last year, and now with Tampa Bay. Will he be able to get over the hump, Tim? Well, I don't. We'll get to that in a little bit. But pretty cool, Corey Perry. He's he's a winner too, I, Tim. I didn't make the Hosa connection. You're right. That's perfect. I uh, I did make that connection because I know Haas. We're friends. We're very close. But yeah, Haas was with who was he with? Pittsburgh, Detroit, and then Chicago. He finally got over the hump with Chicago. So yes, Corey Perry. Having a very impactful playoffs, he always finds himself in the right situation at a very crucial time to score that goal or make that play. Oh, did he get blown up by Truba in the center? I oh, you see that hit? People were up in arms um, with that hit too. Oh, it was a great hit. The puck went through his triangle just because he doesn't corral it. The puck's there. Truba blows him up. Clean hit. Elbows tucked. Perry's on the ice. Everybody's losing their marbles. The announcers are like, "It should be a penalty." Shut up. It should not be a penalty. I don't know how these announcers can honestly get a paycheck and say I did a good job when they make commentary like that. It was a clean hit. The puck goes right through Corey Perry's triangle. Just because he doesn't touch the puck doesn't mean the puck's not there or the puck wasn't intended for him or that he doesn't want to receive that puck. It was a bad pass. Maybe he knows Truba's coming down on him and going to bury him, and he was bracing himself, and so he didn't try to make the play on the puck. Puck's there. Truba buries him. Away we go. That's why the refs didn't call a penalty. I thought it was a great hit, great call by the refs. Moving on. You probably thought it was a dirty hit. You probably thought Truba should be executed. You guys are all the same. You're all the same, Tim. Any any other comments on this series? Are we going to move on? No, let's move on. I got some, uh, some other big stuff to cover. I know uh, some big stuff is right. I haven't had breakfast. I had an early dinner last night just because we were trying to get our kids watches back on track. When you're camping, you don't go to sleep that early. So I'm hungry, Tim. And after this show, I'm going to order DoorDash because I don't have any food and I'm going to be starving and I'm going to order maybe from two different restaurants. And I'm going to use my promo code both times. And I'm going to get 25% off. I'm going to get free delivery because DoorDash does it and they do it right. And you should use our promo codes too, because you need your food. Especially during these days, you don't want to go out. It's so hot. Gas is so expensive. Why go out and get food? DoorDash brings it right to your door. And they do it quickly and they do it cheaply. And you can get it even cheaper if you use our promo codes. If you're in Canada, promo code's GlovesDD. If you're in the United States, the promo code is GlovesDDUS. So use DoorDash. Use them on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Probably you could even hook it up to your car if you have a fancy car, you can go DoorDash app, check it out, use our promo code, save, save yourself some money, get yourself some food. It's a win, win, win with DoorDash. All right, Tim, 
we've been sitting on all these NHL stories for a while now, just because there's been games every single night. This is the first time I think in a month and a half where we haven't had a game. So we got some news to catch up on and it's time to talk about it. Tim. It's time to rip the bandaid off. It's been tough. It's been a tough couple days for you. There was a firing Bruce Cassidy, the Boston Bruins have parted away. We touched on it last show. More news is starting to trickle out. You go. This is good for you. This is therapeutic. You have to get it out there. What, what do we know? You're a Bruins insider. As sad as that sounds right now, you and Pete Blackburn, but a tough goal right now. What are we, what are we hearing out of Boston? Yeah. Cassidy was fired last Monday. And there's a little bit of a timeline that we we're starting to put together the pieces here as since we, since we talked about it, Cassidy has spoken, Sweeney has spoken, reporters like me are investigating in mid-may mid-may when the Bruins season ended Cassidy was told that his job was safe for the next season which is the final year of his deal he was even safe enough that they allowed him to be the one to fire their assistant coach Kevin Dean um, which was not an easy thing for a guy to do a couple weeks later Sweeney Don Sweeney the GM quote-unquote digests everything uh, last Monday, Sweeney calls Bruce, says, hey, can I come by? Can I come over to your house, to your home? And Bruce says, yeah. And then he, they sit in the, in the kitchen and Sweeney fires him uh, in his own house, which is just crazy. And so that was the first, you know, brick to fall. And we're all just like freaking out, totally unsurprised, especially given I love um, in Sweeney's press conference, reporters were asking like, hey, you're talking about how we didn't win this year because of a tough matchup against the Canes who you never play well. We had all these injuries you couldn't account for. Why is the coach the one being fired? And it has nothing to do with him. And he didn't really have an answer. On the 32 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman said Bruce Cassidy and others in the organization, the players and other management, um, were caught completely by surprise. And when Sweeney was asked how – Cassidy took the news in his press conference. Sweeney said, quote unquote, not well. So something had to have happened in those three weeks. It doesn't just, you don't tell a guy his job is safe and then think about it and decide, you know what, maybe we need to move on, right? Like something, something happened in those three weeks. Um, John, let's pause me for a second. What do you think of this so far? Well, it makes me think something must have changed Don Sweeney's mind. And when, when something happens that quickly, when you've already given your guy your, your handshake, your head nod, your back, you're my guy, which doesn't surprise me in NHL. It's, it's a league of backstabbers, and you can never trust anybody because they'll smile to your face and they'll just stab you right in the back as you're walking out the door. That's how the NHL works. That's how GMs work. It's happened to me many times. And I'm not, I'm not crying over spilled milk, but I've had GMs say, yeah, well, you're, your plans, you're in our plans. We're going to, we'll make something work. And then you don't hear them until, you know, June 30th. And it's like, well, free agency starts tomorrow. What are we going to do? And they go, oh, you know what? Maybe you should test free agency. So it doesn't surprise me. What I think happened is maybe Don Sweeney, Maybe some players started to talk. Maybe Cam Neely got together and they said, well, look at the list of coaches that are on the market because there are a lot of good coaches that have hit the open market. Barry Trotz is out there. John Tortorella is out there. Jim Montgomery from the Dallas Stars. Pete DeBoer is available. Paul Maurice is available. Claude Julien's available. Alan Vigneault's available. Rick Tockett's available. Joel Quinville's available. Mike Babcock is still on the market. There is a lot of good coaches that are out there. It's a very strange time where usually there's one or two guys who are out there. It's like, well, maybe he could improve our team because the coach is a huge part of a team. It goes the GM and then the coach. Those are the two guys who set the tone and the whole organization. And the coaches, he is a huge part of it. Everybody knows the coach. He's their identity of your team. Maybe the Bruins thought they needed to change. As, as much as Bruce Cassidy has won, as much as he's been successful, they got the regular season wins, hasn't really translated to playoff wins. Maybe they needed to change. Maybe Don Sweeney and Cam Neely, they are looking at the clock on the wall and saying, well, maybe our time is up. You know, maybe our we're going to be axed soon because we haven't really had that playoff success that we think we've we needed. And they said, well, let's go out and get a coach who's done it in the in the playoffs. Let's go get a coach who who can maybe move the needle a little bit. It won't surprise me one bit if the Bruins announce that they get one of these higher-end coaches sooner than later. And I know of all those guys that I just named, the coach they get will have Stanley Cup pedigree, in my opinion. 
He's going to be a guy who's won a cup, maybe multiple cups. And he's going to be a guy who players maybe want to play for. Pasternak's not happy in Boston. Marshawn's not happy in Boston. We know this. They've traded away a lot of their friends, a lot of their personal fake. Krejci's gone. Krug's gone. These guys were close to them. They thought they were good for the team. The atmosphere in Boston right now is not good. Is Bergeron going to come back? I firmly believe that Bergeron, maybe not firmly believe, but I think Bergeron has a say in who the coach is in Boston. They want Bergie to come back. He is a very big part of this team. It wouldn't surprise me if he's had conversations with Don Sweeney and Cam Neely, but like, you know what? I want to come back. It'd be great to have this guy as a coach. It'd be great if I, if I walked into the room day one and Joel Quinville's sitting there, he seems like a really great coach to play for. He's won a few Stanley cups down the way. I think he's one of the top two or three winningest coaches of all times. So don't quote me, but it would not surprise me if those conversations were had we all know what's going on with Pasternak and the trades and this and that, and there's, there's rumors swirling around him. But it's not common for a coach that has been that successful, that Bruce Cassidy has been that successful in Boston. It, it's not normal for him to be fired. So I think the Bruins have a plan B, and they have something in place where they have maybe talked to a coach. They, the players have said something. So someone's going to step in and fill that void, and it will be a big name. It won't be the AHL guy. It won't be an assistant coach taking the reins. It's going to be a big name coming to Boston in the next few months, in my opinion. Yeah, and and the crazy thing, all this news and all this you know breaking stories happened after already a tough week the week before, where all these injuries kind of came out in the surgeries. You had Marshawn double hip surgery; he's going to miss the start of next season. McAvoy had shoulder surgery; he's out six months. Grizzly had shoulder surgery; he's out five months. Riley had ankle surgery. Bergeron had elbow surgery, and on top of all that, you fired the coach, and then. Pluto Shinzawa, who's one of the top guys in, in Bruins reporting, um, reported that the Bruins are going to explore shopping David Pasternak this summer, which it's just crazy. And, and according to him, Pasta wasn't happy with the dismissal of Cassidy, as well as how management handled the, the Krug leaving uh, David Krejci negotiations. And they've, they've butchered a lot of uh, just – players leaving over the last couple of years the Tuka Rass thing was really strange the Chara thing was strange Chara wanted to come back um Krug was willing to come back they didn't even they didn't even really talk to those guys and players talk like not only obviously teammates talk but guys around the league talk and who would want to come and play for this management group when you hear these stories of what they do to their players it, it reminds me a little bit of, of Vegas um the way that they've mishandled all these player movements with Flurry and all these other ones um Who's going to want to say, you know what? Oh, that's the team I want to go. I want to go play for for Sweeney and Cam Neely. And I, I want to sign a multi-deer deal for them because they know how to treat players well. It's like, it's embarrassing. And um, Pasternak reportedly um, is open to talking to the Bruins, but if they can't, you know, lock something down, they're going to, going to explore the trade market because they don't want to let him go for nothing. He's got one more year on his deal, a really friendly deal, about six and six point six. Um, it's just, it's not a good time to be a Bruins fan. It's really, it's really distressing. Yeah. This is a big off season for the Boston Bruins. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Do we take another run at this? Do, do we just again, throw more money at this group and see if we can win a Stanley cup? How do we stack up versus the other teams in the East? Because the Rangers were good this year. They will be better next year. That that's, I think everyone can gather around that. There are other to Toronto. Will they be better next year? Tampa Bay is going to be good. Florida looks like they're going to reload. They're already in talks with Claude Giroux to bring him back. Where does Boston fit in that tier? Are they going to reload? You're already locked into Taylor Hall for a long time. Marshawn's still there. He's injured for the first few months of the season, but he will be back. You got Charlie Coyle under contract. You have a lot of money locked up on the back end with McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlo. You almost have to go for it. You can't just all of a sudden say we're going to be in a rebuilding mode. You, you can't do that with the contracts that you have. So what do we do? How do we expedite this process? Does that mean trading David Pasternak? Maybe that is. Maybe you ship him out, get a first rounder and some second tier players, and you open up another $7 million in salary cap, and you sign a guy for a longer term deal if Pasta doesn't want to come back. You have to make that decision now. You, his value is the most highest right now. 
I firmly believe that the same situation is going on in Vancouver with JT Miller. They can't offer him a deal until July 13th, just the way the season works. When the season ends, that's when you can offer him a longer term deal. But if JT Miller or David Posternock say, uh, you know what, we're going to wait until free agency at the end of the 23, 24 season or 22, 23 season. And we're going to, we're going to test out free agency. You have to trade these guys this off season. That's a deal that has to be made because their value will go down the longer it gets, the closer it gets to the free agency period at the end of the next season. So you have to have these conversations. And if Pasta's not, hop, not happy, you have to flip them. You have to sign somebody else. You have to bring someone in to fill those shoes, those massive shoes that he has because he's such a good player. And his salary cap is so low right now. His salary will start with a nine next year. Like He, he will not be a $6 million player ever again in his career. He will be a $9 million player. You have to firmly believe that. If you want Pasta to be around, you say, I'm going to sign you for seven years, $9 million. Here's $63 million. Be our guy. If he doesn't want to be that guy, you have to find someone else who will. Boston still is a destination for players. It has that aura. It's a good city. Players want to go play there. If there's something to be fixed, you fix it now. You ship out the coach. You bring someone in who players like, and you try to right the ship. Marshawn is still a top 10 player in this league. McAvoy is still a top 10 defenseman in this league. You have the pieces there. You just have to make things work. You have the opportunity now to make some things happen. You have to figure out the bottom six. You got to, you have to move Felino, Smith, Hall, and Nozick. These types of contracts, you have to make something happen down there to free up some more salary cap, but there's still an opportunity for Boston to compete. It's a very crucial offseason for them. It's massive. Is Bergeron coming back? What to do with Pasternak? Those are the two big pieces that you cannot miss. You cannot miss on these two decisions. So I don't know. We'll see what Cam Neely has up his sleeve. We'll see what Don Sweeney has up his sleeve. The most, the most frustrating part of all this is that it's really the management's fault that we're in this position in the first place. They have, they've swung and missed on almost every draft over the last several years. They haven't done a good job of developing their players. We have no one in the pipeline. We have no one close, really, in Providence. You don't have any, any blue-chip pieces you can move. And on top of that, like you look at – we spend a lot of time on Cap Friendly for the show. And you, you look at all the contracts. It's red for a contract ending in UFA, blue for an RFA. The Bruins have no RFAs. They have no like 20, 21, 22 year old players entering like their prime. Like this is, it's just, it's bad management from top to bottom. And the fact that I think that Cassidy's been scapegoated and it's like, okay, we didn't perform well this year. Someone's got to go. Neely's looking around. It's like, okay, it's not me. He looks down to Don Sweeney. Don Sweeney says, okay, well, I don't want to lose my job. He looks down to the Cassidy who just two weeks ago said he was fine, but you're out. You're out. We're going to make a move and, and you're the, the odd man out, which is just, it's just such a bummer. And now we're in a position where our main priority for the offseason is begging our 36-year-old center not to retire. Like, is this who the Boston Bruins are? It's just, it's embarrassing. Yeah, and a lot of times you, you see on Cap Friendly, ELC, entry-level contract, RFAs, they, they have no players that are on entry-level contracts on their team. That's remarkable. Like usually a team that, that, that means you draft a guy and he's on your team within the first three years of him signing a pro contract. They have none. It's wild. They have nobody on their team who's on an entry level contract or pretty much anybody on their team other than a handful who is an impact player who they drafted other than Postonok and Marchand. Who else did they, I guess my McCoy too, McAvoy, excuse me, but they, they, they're yes, they, they're scouting. I don't know how they haven't just cleaned house numerous times. It's terrible. It's bad. Seriously. Seriously. And it goes back to 2015. I hate bringing up that draft again, but that was Sweeney's first draft. Three three picks in the first round, back to back to back. And you miss out on Shabbat. You miss out on Barzal. And you miss out on uh, who's that that winger for um, the Jets. It's just, uh, it's brutal. It's brutal. I, I can't talk about it anymore. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. We'll keep an eye on that. Another coaching Opening the Philadelphia Flyers, it's believed they're down to two leading candidates, Barry Trotz, John Tortorella, similar type coaches, very hard-nosed, military-style coaches. They expect hard work or else you're not going to play. We've seen them, both of these coaches have benched superstars during their tenures with their teams. Who's a better fit there, Tim? Because the Flyers have been perpetually underwhelming they don't fulfill their preseason expectations every single year they have some talent 
they still have Van Riemsdyk. Gosh, they don't have much talent anymore. <laughs> They've shipped out a lot of guys. They're not the same team they were. They got rid of Giroux. They have a lot of guys who were injured coming back from injuries this off this season. So is this a desirable destination for a coach, A, when there's so many good openings out there? And who's the better fit if these guys both want to be coaches for the Philadelphia Flyers? I think they're both good fits. I mean, they're, they're both the, – the, the Flyers have struggled with urgency – and accountability. They have no one like kicking them in the butt when they're not playing well. And those two coaches are exactly, that's what they'll do. They have different styles, but they will hold their players accountable. They will bring some, um, some backbone, I think, and some, a, a culture that, that the Flyers desperately need. And the rumor right now, and it could be nothing more than the rumor, but it's really believed that this is Tortorella's job and they're going to announce it as soon as the, the cup, you know, finals is over. Um, but I could see either of those guys being a big part of that. But like you said, there's a lot of openings right now, and that looks like a, a more challenging job than most. So what, what do you think? I tell you what, I wouldn't want this job if I was a head coach, unless I was a, a first-time guy dipping my toes in the NHL coaching pool. I would not want this job. If I'm Tortorella, if I'm Trots, if I'm Torts, I'm staying on TV. Why put yourself in this position where you know you're going to fail? The expectations for Philadelphia this coming season are going to be bottom of the barrel. Maybe he ekes out, you know, an eighth place bubble finish in the playoffs. That would be an improvement for them. The East is stacked. They're going to be stacked for years to come. I I don't see a Philadelphia team when you eliminate Claude Giroux, when you have the type of season that they're coming off of, the goaltending situation there is just, is Carter Hart the guy? Martin Jones, he played okay this year. Their defense I don't want this job. I don't want this job, even if you were, well, they're going to pay him. But I, I don't know why a coach who has the pedigree that a trots and Tortorella have would want to put themselves in a situation like this where you're set up to fail. You got Kevin Hayes, Van Riemsdyk, Konecki. Like that's your first line. That's your first line. And you're going to go play. And I know I beg on Washington and Pittsburgh. They're better than Philadelphia. They're better than those guys. And you, the Islanders will be better next year. We saw how they played at the end of the season. They will be better. Philly's going to suck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be so blunt. They're going to stink next year. And why would you want to coach that team? If you're if you're a coach who has some pedigree, if you've won a Stanley Cope, if you have that cachet around your name, why would you want to muddy that by being a Philadelphia Flyers coach and just being garbage for the next few years? I don't get it. Maybe he just really wants to be a coach of Philadelphia. I, I don't know. I, I would not take the job if I was either of these two guys. As frustrated as I am with the Bruins, I keep thinking, okay, well, at least we're not the Flyers. The Flyers, oh. they'll be they'll be bad, and they're they, but they're not bad enough to like get a lottery pick. It's just it's no man's land, and they're going to be stuck there unless they do one thing or another. So they got to commit one way or another to getting some pieces back or throwing everything out to rebuild, which is going to mean it's going to be hard to un- unload some of those contracts. So yeah, I don't envy that job, GM or coach. Who's got more upside in that division? Because we know the Hurricanes are good. We know the Rangers are good. They're going to be good for years to come. They got the Penguins and Capitals who are, are on the downslope. The, their, their heights have been reached. They're, they're, but they're gradually, gracefully aging. You know, they make the playoffs. They make a run. Pittsburgh's still dangerous. Washington almost upset Florida in the first round. The Islanders struggled out of the gate. Then you got the Devils and the Jackets and the Flyers. Where do the Flyers fall in that group? Are they worse than the Devils, worse than the Blue Jackets? I think, yeah. At least if you look in the direction of their franchises, uh, the Devils for sure are an up-and-coming team. I think they're probably a few years from from contending for a playoff spot. But you look at those picks that they've had with with Hughes and 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 Heischer and Dougie Hamilton and and all that. They they they're on the upswing. The Blue Jackets are probably not very exciting. I think they could be the, the, the tide with, with the Flyers in terms of the direction of their franchise, but they're better than they are now. They almost, they didn't really almost, but they made it interesting in, in going for a playoff spot this year. Um, so I, I could see them, you know, they're a better team than the Flyers. The Flyers, the Flyers, I don't know. It's, there's, there's, it's rare where you find a team who's this bad, but also has really no hope. You know what I mean? Like you can look at like the, the Canadians obviously were pretty bad. You can look at the, how bad the devils have been in recent years, the, the Sabres, like those teams, it's like, okay, but they've got Darlene and they've got all Owen power and they've got all these other players. Um, the flyers don't, they don't, no. they just, and don't. they got bad contracts. Kevin Hayes makes seven point, almost 7.2 a year for the next four years. Kevin Hayes. Oh, uh, uh. 
Kevin Hayes makes almost $7.2 million for the next four years. The guy has, he, he sniffed 50 points once back with the Rangers. Ever since he's been to Philly, he's been complete garbage and he's making $7.2 million. They are in cap hell. They have no good players. They have bad contracts up. Joel Farabee makes 5 million bucks for the next seven years, Tim. And he is a, a decent checking forward. He gets, he's going to get you 35 points. And he's making 5 million bucks a year for the next seven years. It's insane. Provorov's got a bad contract. Risto's got a bad, like, it's just, I don't know what they're going to do. If Couturier comes back from his injury, he's gets 7.75, Tim, for the next 10 years, almost eight years. It's insane. They are, they are struggling. They don't have much cap space. If they have any at all. They are just a, they're in a bad space, the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm going to call torts. I'm going to say, don't take this job. Don't do it, John. He's going to have a heart attack on the bench. You saw how worked up he did when he got with the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Rangers and the Lightning in the, in the Canucks. He'll lose his mind here. He will, he could potentially have a heart attack on the bench and die. All right, moving on. we got some rumors with the Chicago Blackhawks. You are, I don't want to say you're an insider with Chicago, but you're very close. Us. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll, I am. I think you should. What's going on in Chicago, Tim? Yeah, uh, a fellow insider, Frank Saravelli, had a really interesting report the other day that said it's a matter of of when, not if, that the Blackhawks trade Alex to break it. It could be this offseason. I think it will be. It could. It could be next deadline. Um, they might wait a little bit. He's got an expiring contract. <laughs> I, I don't have a number in front of me, but he's like top five in goals over the last four years, something like that. Like he's so so good. He's still only twenty four years old. Um, and the Blackhawks, I think, are finally committing to a full rebuild. They have a lot of expiring contracts. They don't have any forward under contract for more than two years. This is the, this is the season that Kane and Taze finally come off the books. Um, and so this will be interesting because Frank now put Debrinket at the top of a betrayed target board. He's the premier talent that, that's, that could be available this, this summer. And wherever he goes, he makes teams instantly better. Imagine if he went to Edmonton. And he's got McDavid setting him up. He's going to be a 50 goal scorer. So I don't think so. I, I, I like Alex to bring it. I think he will end up being a bad contract for a team. I, I think it's a red herring. I think his numbers are boosted by the players he plays with. I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I, I think he can easily put up 25, 30 goals. I know he had 41 twice in his career. He's young. I just don't see him being, he's going to demand. Like right now he makes 6.4. He will demand $8 million and he will get it. I think this will be a bad contract for whoever signs him. I think the Hawks are smart to trade him, And I think they will get a good return and it'll be a good deal for the Chicago Blackhawks in the long run. This will be a bad contract for whoever gets Alex to bring it. If he goes to Edmonton, it'll be a terrible thing. I don't think Edmonton can afford him, but I just, I just don't see this. And I, I like Alex to bring it. I, I know him. We've talked to him. You've talked to him, Tim. He's a good player. He's a little water bug out there. He's small. He's short. He's powerful. He gets the puck in the net. He, he gets to the net for being a small guy. I don't see him being an eight, $9 million guy, but that's what he's going to get. He's got, he got 78 points this year. He had 41 goals, 37 assists. I just, I don't know. I'm not what ready to drink, about drink the Kool-Aid. I, I just don't think he is that guy. I don't. My eye test, it doesn't pass my eye test. When you look at the type of players who make that type of money, he is just not one of those guys. Let's let's look at the list for the guys who are in the $8 million area. Maybe we'll go from eight. We're talking the Mitch Marners, the Thomas Hurdles, the Kucherovs, the Points, the Zabinajads, the Couture's, those, the Dreinsidles, those type of players. Austin Matthews, for Pete's sake, those guys – he doesn't belong in that tier of players in my eyes. And I think in a lot of people's eyes, but as happens every single year, GMs will panic. They want to switch their roster up. Maybe just maybe the Bruins say, okay, well, we got to get Pasternak out of here. We need to replace his goals. Well, look at Debrinket had 41 goals. He can be the Pasternak. If you're taking those two guys who will demand the same type of salary, who are you taking? Pasta. In a, in a heartbeat, right? In a heartbeat. He just brings more to the game. 
I just think he's he's more valuable than a, than a Brinkett. But they will get a similar salary. It's just it's the same thing on the back end when Makar and Adonirel Nurse make the same amount of money. Who are you going to take a Makar or a Nurse? Makar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over anyone. It's a no brainer. So, but here's John. You're talking about a two time forty goal scorer who hasn't even hit his prime yet. He's got more goals over the last four seasons than McKinnon or Marchand. He's okay. Stop right there. A, so, who are you going to take, McKinnon, Marchand, or Dubrincic? Uh, that order probably. But why? Dubrincic scored more goals. They're better players. Why though? But he scored more goals. I'm not trying to make the argument that he's better than those guys. I'm just saying he, he's an elite company. He's an elite goal scorer. And especially if you put him with a good centerman, like I don't think he's really had one. Kane's a great disher and he's got great chemistry with Patrick Kane over the last couple of years. I'm not going to diminish that, but you put him with a legit playmaking center on a good team where he's going to be 25, 26, 27, 28 years old. Like those are his best seasons coming up. And, and a lot of the things like you score 40 goals and you only have 78 points. That means you're not playing with a lot of talent around you. You're not, you're not getting a lot of those assists where you know, most guys score 40 goals. with like a hundred points because you, so you're you saying you get more he doesn't have than, a lot of talent around him, but he's playing with Patrick Kane, the best playmaker in the last decade. That's why he has 41 goals. Yeah. Yeah, most of the time, most of the time you have more assists than goals, and when when guy has more goals than assists, it usually it speaks to someone not having the Rick Nash classic example. He would have forty goals and like sixty five points, like it's crazy. And so, so yeah, Ovechkin think, hasn't played with good players. No, but he he, gets he a lot has of more goals too. than assists. There has to be a trigger man, and in Chicago in the last three years, it's been Alex Dabrinkit. He's been playing with Patrick Kane and Dylan Strom. Every time there's a rush, every time there's a power play, every time there's an opportunity to score, Kaner's going to give it over to Brinkett. I think his high goal total and low assist total is indicative of him being on a line with Patrick Kane. If he's on a line with somebody else, if he's on the second line for Chicago playing with Tyler Johnson or Kublik or somebody else, he gets 20 goals. Whoever Kane plays with, he ups their goal total. Like, that's just the Patrick Kane factor. The guy's unbelievable to play with. I don't think Dabrinkit's that guy. I don't, I don't think he's he, – yes, he can have a, a rare rush here and there. A lot of his goals are because Kaner just draws so many defenders and he puts Dabrinkit in a really good position to score a goal. I think 41 will be his, his high water mark his whole career, and it's because he's playing alongside 88. No matter who he's playing with, Patrick Kane – and I will argue anybody this. He is the best playmaker in the NHL in the last 10 years, hands down. There's nobody better than him. Name one. There's nobody better than him. He's so incredibly good. I think people undervalue how good he is with the puck and how he puts guys in a position to score better than anybody else in the NHL. He is, a, he is an elite, an elite setup man. And he has been ever since he entered the league. So I don't know. I hope the Hawks trade them. They will get a good return from him because there's a lot of people like you who drink the Kool-Aid and look at the, the fancy 41 number right beside his name. 41 goals. Oh my gosh. He's done it twice. He ain't going to hit 42. Not without Patrick Kane running shotgun. So yeah, good for Chicago. Trade him, get him out there, get a first rounder. They need a, they, they lost their first rounder when they traded Seth Jones. Columbus has that high first round draft pick this year. Nicely done on that trade, but yeah, they, they need to get something there. They need to re retool the Chicago Blackhawks team. I like their position. Like you said, they don't have a lot of forwards wrapped up for the next few years, but you know, it sounds crazy when you trade your pseudo best goal scorer, the guy you maybe would want to build around what, and that's because they know, they know he's not their guy. Get rid of them. You can't, can you build around anybody in the Chicago franchise to win, to win a Stanley cup? In John did the air quotes for best goal scorer. John, he's he's an elite goal scorer. You can take give him one thing or another, but like he's he's a top ten goal scorer the last five years. He's he's not just because he's playing that, with Patrick Kane. If uh, you switch him and Kublik, you put Kublik first line. Don't left even man. don't don't you. I will if you put Kublik in that position. Kublik gets 32, 33, maybe not forty one. He's over thirty, guaranteed. Kane makes you a better player. I said it, and I stand by. I'm not it. arguing that, but yeah, all right. All right you we'll are see. arguing we'll that. You're arguing I'm not saying Kane doesn't make you a better player, obviously. But obviously. apparently, you're drinking the Kool Aid, thinking that Debrinket, for some reason, 
should have more assists because he's not playing with better players and they're not finishing and he has so many goals. I, I don't understand your reasoning. What's going on? Kane makes everyone a better player. Kublik, if he plays an 82-game schedule with Patrick Kane, he's scoring 40 goals. I'll say it. I'll say it just, boom, laying it out there. Debrinkit has the Kane factor. I hope we get – I want a lot of comments from the Blackhawks fans listening to this. I want to see what you guys weigh in on this, and hopefully you can help my argument about Debrinkit. I, here, I feel like I'm a crazy person trying to argue that Alex Debrinkit's a good goal scorer. How did we end up in this conversation? I'm not saying he's not a good goal scorer. I'm just saying he is not worth the eight or nine million dollar salary that he is going to get. And the Hawks are smart trading him. And I think he is a red herring where everyone thinks he is this great, great, great superstar goal scorer because he's scored so many goals in the last three years. You put anybody next to Patrick Kane. You put me for Pete's. If I'm with Patrick Kane for 82 games, I'm getting 25 goals. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm getting 20, 25. 10 of them, Kaner's going to shoot off my my shoulder, my hip, my legs. He is so incredibly good. And, yes, I know Jabrinkit plays well with Kane. They're both fast and they're creative and this and that. Kane is so good. Just I'm going to leave it there. Chicago fans are smart. They know what's what. They watch good hockey. They know they made a mistake when they traded Panarin. I think Panarin is a fantastic player. He's proving it. I don't think Jabrinkit does what Panarin does. I don't think he's that type of player. And you cannot argue me with that. Panarin's unbelievable compared to Debrinket. And they'll get the same similar contracts. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Well, a couple more things. Another friend of the show, Ryan Miller, going to have his number retired with the Buffalo Sabres. Funny story, Ryan Miller in college, his number, 39, in honor of Dominic Hasek, gets drafted by Buffalo. Can't use number 39 because Hasek's had been hung in the rafters. Chooses number 30. Now he has one more win than who? Dominic Hasek going to have his number retired this season. They're picking the game now. Pretty cool. Friend of the show, Ryan Miller. Any comments on that? No, no. Good for him. Well-deserved. It is well-deserved. He's a good dude. Had a good career. Winning, winning his goaltender in United States goaltending history. Very cool. Good for him. I might go and check that out. I might go for that, that banner raising. I think that'd be fun to see Ryan. I know him. I know his family. Congrats to him. All right, Tim. Points bet. We don't really have anything to bet on yeah can we bet on the flyers coach who do you think ends up there should we bet on the nba game uh if you want i this is a tough one for me i said before game four i'm a celtics fan obviously i said whoever wins this game is going to win the the series oh then golden state's going to win the series yeah i it doesn't look good well then be a man of your word and take the golden state warriors no, Celtics. Celtics, wow. Celtics, Celtics. Homer. So the Warriors are going to win. Never bet against the home team. But then you're a liar. I'm, I'm, my head and my heart are in conflict, John, all the time. And this is especially. What about right your now. integrity? Does that chime <laughs> in here? Because you said whoever wins game four will win the series, Tim. So come on. Yeah, but I didn't say it to anyone. I just said it in my mind. You just and said it here on the, on the show. Podcast. You just yeah, we said have it dozens here. of listeners. Well, I'll take the Warriors. I will I will carry the integrity flag that Tim has dropped, and I will say the Warriors will win, and they will win big because Boston apparently and everybody's surrounding area has no integrity, and nothing matters in their word because Tim says something, and it doesn't mean a thing. You know, Tim, any comment? I'm afraid to say anything now. I don't want to be mis- misrepresented or misquoted. Uh... I think you have made that bed. You said whoever wins game four will win the series, and now you're going back on your stance. I don't really care about basketball. I haven't watched any of the games this offseason, but I will take the Golden State Warriors for the win. So go out there and bet on them, and then we have another show on Wednesday. We'll do the recap of the big Stanley Cup. I'm excited for this Stanley Cup Finals. Let me just get that out there. The last few times the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup. What a funny comment. The last few times they've won the Stanley Cup. Last two years, I think they've had a pretty easy path. If you go back and look at all their series wins, they've only gone to Game 7 twice in the last three postseasons. Once versus the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Final, and then once versus the Tampa Bay Lightning in this year's playoffs. Other than that, it's been 4-1, 4-2 the whole time. All 15 series, or 11 series. 
Yeah, Toronto, and then the yeah. New York Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Other than that, when they won the Cup the first year, it was 4-1, 4-1, 4-2, 4-1. It's been easy sledding, steady as she goes. I think this will be their biggest test in three three consecutive playoff runs. I'm excited for this series. I want to know how everyone's going to react. Braden Point's going to be back for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He potentially could have played in Game 7 if the Rangers would have won. I hope Nazim Kadri's back. I want all of these teams to be at full power when we meet. Darcy Kempfer's back. We'll touch on that. Who's going to start net for the Colorado Avalanche? I don't know. That's a good question for their coach, Bedner. All that and more we're going to talk about on Wednesday. We're going to break it down. We're going to give our predictions right now as it stands, just so everybody knows. In the playoffs as a whole, I am 10-3. and If you take into account my bad picks taking the Predators over the Avalanche, which was just a complete joke in my eyes, I would have a a sterling, sterling record. Tim right now is seven and six. That's a winning record. Sorry, I'm 11 and three. 11 and three. I misspoke. 11 and three. Tim, you are eight and six. Uh, I should be 13 and one in my eyes, just because I wanted to make it interesting for everybody. Stick with me, everybody. I will just, I will take you places you've never been. It's just <laughs> I unbelievable. I can show you the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, we're going to end there, everybody. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Recap this, or not recap, we'll preview this Stanley Cup final. Have some fun. All right, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.